Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Motherhood Reimagined podcast. Thanks for joining me. I just wanted to mention my closed Facebook support group called Motherhood Reimagined Support that you can find and join and get support for any stage of the journey. So you can go over to Facebook and find that. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. And thanks so much for reaching out to me and telling me how much you enjoy the show. It really helps me keep going and stay motivated and also know what you guys like and what's working for you. So every time you tell a friend or write a post to me or post a review, it helps me so much and keeps me so motivated and I appreciate it. And finally, I launched my solo and pregnant support group as part of the tribe membership last week. And I'm so excited about it. We're going to do a lot of work around working on how you've gotten support in the past. We're going to do so much practical stuff like working on your support network and putting together a birth plan, but also just be there for each other and listen to the ups and downs of pregnancy, your fears, your excitement. I think going through pregnancy alone, it can be hard to find someone who wants to kind of geek out with you on all the details and really witness this amazing transformative time of your life. And I really want to provide a platform for that, just a connection and a bonding between all these, for all these women who are powerful and strong, but could still use some extra support. So don't miss your chance to sign up. If you sign up this week, you not only get the preferred pricing of $59 a month for the life of your membership, but you'll also get an hour-long free session with me as a bonus and an electronic copy of my book if you don't already have one. If you're having any questions or doubts about it, just reach out to me. I'm more than happy to get on the phone and talk to you about it and find out whether or not it feels like a good fit. But also you can cancel anytime, so come give it a try and see what we're up to. Today, I'm joined with Brenda, and I'm so excited to share her interview with you. Her journey was so similar to mine. Many times, it could have just been me speaking. She talks about how she not only let go of the dream to be a mother in the traditional way that she assumed she always would be, but how she also had to let go of that genetic connection to her child in order to use double donors. She was also in a corporate job when she gave birth and talks about how she navigated having an infant and a job as well as how she developed a support network with women that she's still in contact to this day. Let's get started. Hi, Brenda. Thanks for joining me. No problem. So I always love to start out asking people just to give us a picture of what you had imagined for your life when you were a little kid and a child. Well, when I was young, like many women, I honestly just assumed that I would go to college, get married, have babies, probably three babies. My -hmm. parents are still married. They met when they were 14 got married when they were 19 and they are still married over 50 years. So that was sort of my guide. And I really didn't think anything differently about that. 
And then in addition to that, I have two older sisters who both also married shortly after college, and then they each had three kids. <laughs> so oh, wow. you know, this is sort of what I envisioned would also happen for me. So I didn't really think anything differently, you know, so I went to college and did that, checked that off my list, had several long-term relationships along the way, but still had never felt like I had found the one. So, you know, but I was always someone that was pretty happy being single. As much as I loved being in relationships, I also loved my independence and I was sort of a free spirit and loved to travel and had a huge group of friends and wanted to work on my career. So even though it really bothered me that I hadn't found that, you know, there was a lot of pressure, I feel like, not only from society in general, but from my family. <laughs> and of course, you start seeing all of your friends getting married and having kids. And, you know, it really sort of takes a toll on you mentally. You feel like maybe something's wrong with you or you know, why can't I find the right person? Am I too picky? So I went through that for a lot of years and then sort of found myself in my mid to late thirties, you know, realizing, oh my gosh, <laughs> what am I going to do? I knew since a young age that I wanted to be a mom. Um, I was always one of those people that literally just knew with every cell in my body that I was mm. going to be a mom. Like it was just never not an option. So mm -hmm. that's sort of when I started to think about the potential of, you know, going it alone. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so then what was the next, when you started having that conversation with yourself, what were the steps that happened next? So I remember having the conversation a couple times with my OBGYN. Interestingly though, she had never brought this up to me at all. I, I had to, I had to bring it up with her. And I, you know, looking back, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, knowing now that age 35, your fertility is great reduced, I, you know, I thought it was interesting that my OBGYN had never proactively said anything to me at a younger age. But I remember, I think I was 37 the first time I had a conversation with her. And it was really eye-opening. I was almost remember kind of being mad that no one ever told me that before. But she's like, yeah, you know, you're probably towards the very end of your fertility years. And if you want to do something about it, you probably need to start now. And that sort of shocked me. <laughs> Because although I had been thinking about it, you know, thinking about it and doing it was a big deal. So the good thing is that really did get me thinking. And I started doing some research and Googling. And, you know, this was over five, this was almost nine years ago. So there was some, you know, there was some information out there, but not a ton. So the next year, <laughs> when I went back to my OBGYN, she, you know, we talked about it again. And that's when I absolutely made the decision that I was going to, that I was going to try to do this. So for me, the next step was really making sure that that, you know, it was, it was possible. Like financially, could I do this? Do I have the right support system in place? How am I going to do my job? You know, what are the expenses after you have the baby? So I really started to think through all that and sort of put some of those thing, things in play. I ended up buying a home. I had never bought a home before and I felt like that would give me some stability. And in the meantime, just continued to do a lot of online research and then I ended up making the decision to go directly to a fertility specialist. 
um, rather than continue going through my regular mm-hmm. OBGYN. At this point now, I was approaching 39 and I was like, well, I'm just going to go to a reproductive endocrinologist and, you know, I'm going to do this. So mm-hmm. ended up having a, a couple appointments and decided to move forward. And then another big step, of course, was telling my family <laughs> mm-hmm. that was difficult for me, but I ended up writing an email, which sounds strange, but for me, that was sort of a easier way to break the ice, even though I'm very close with my family. And I still have that email today. In fact, I just looked for it the other day, Mm. but I just said, you know, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but you know, I'm going to do this. And I really was scared. I thought that they would think I was crazy and I'm sure that they did, but everybody was very supportive. You know, Mm. all of my close friends, my family, I know for sure my mom was probably freaking out, but she knew how much I wanted to be a mom and she saw me struggling through my 30s. And so, you know, she was willing to support me in any way. But I honestly think they probably thought I it was just a crazy idea and it would pass. So, but it did not happen, <laughs> and ended up going through four years of fertility. And that's another thing that, you know, I, I don't think I was totally ready for was mm-hmm. how long it took me. So I think mm-hmm. that's important for people to know, you know, I, I know people who it happened very quickly, but it also took me, you know, also probably because I was near 40. So, but it was a crazy journey. <laughs> but one that I got through and, you know, I'm so glad that I did because now I have this beautiful little boy. So mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. sort of my path to, you know, starting with this process. Awesome. So I had a very similar feeling when I went to my OBGYN. She never brought it up to me in my late thirties that my fertility, like that I should be aware of that. And then when I did finally bring it up, She was so casual about like, yeah, you know, you're getting close to 40 and gave me some like facts. But I I, I feel like that's one thing that's so common. It's like we spend our whole lives not, you know, not getting pregnant and talking to our OBGYNs about how not to get pregnant. But I really feel like it needs to be something that doctors or OBGYNs sort of bring up but you know, throughout our 30s and late 30s, because I, I, you're not the first woman who has had the exact same experience as myself of like being like, what? Like you, I really feel like I was never really explained to how finite fertility is. Like we see all these images in the media about people getting pregnant really late. And most, there's a study about how many women who, how few women or celebrities talk about their IVF and how hard it was to get pregnant. So we just have this image that everyone has this easy chance, easy job getting pregnant. So I, I can relate to that surprise Absolutely. of like the relationship or the experience with OBGYN. Absolutely. I know a lot of women come to me with concerns about how to tell their family and they're terrified to do it. I would say on par, like on the most part, most people's families end up being surprising them that they're more supportive than they expect. And I know I thought my parents were going to completely lose it. They're very conservative. And they were like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. Like, that's great. Like you've (laughs) always wanted to be a mother, of course. So I just think it's nice for people to hear, especially when it's a surprise, because I think there's a lot of women who kind of, it's a big hurdle to get over for a lot of women to share it with their family. You said you ended up in IVF for a long time and basically a four-year process. Can you walk us through a little bit more of those details and how you ended up getting pregnant in the end? Sure. So like many, I 
started with IUIs, you know, that's sort of the easiest way to start. And even though I was 39 going on 40, I thought, you know, after doing some testing, they thought, well, you know, the, the, the chances are slim, but let's give it a try. So I did three IUIs um, back to back and no success. Mm. And those obviously took almost a year because after one, I think you have to wait 30 days to start the next and 30 days to start the next. Mm. So, so by now another year has gone by and now I'm, you know, 40 going on 41 and I've had three failed IUIs. And so we redid some of my testing and, you know, the, the outcome was not good for my own eggs, which was pretty traumatic to hear because then you're sort of thinking, oh, this is the end of my journey. Because just as I thought that I would never, ever become a single mom, I never, ever, ever thought that I would try to have a child with an egg donor. I mean, mm-hmm. it was hard enough to, to swallow the sperm donor part, but quickly I had to make a decision that, you know, either I don't become a mom or I consider an egg donor. And that was really difficult. But surprisingly, Mm -hmm. I got through that pretty quickly because I thought to myself, what is the end goal here? The end goal is to be a mom. And I had also considered adoption. So I thought, well, this is kind of like adoption, but I Mm -hmm. get to care, you know, because I think I heard another person say this. It was very important to me to carry a child. The whole pregnancy part and being pregnant, Mm -hmm. that to me is a huge part of becoming a mom for me. So although I still was going to consider adoption, should this journey not be successful, that thought process helped me get through the decision to to try an egg donor. I thought, Mm -hmm. well, you know, I can only afford to do one round of IVF. So he basically, my doctor said, if we use your eggs, you have about a 7% chance. And then Mm -hmm. if you get pregnant, you have a 50% chance of miscarrying. He said, if we go with an egg donor, you have about a 70% chance of getting pregnant. So as soon as Mm -hmm. I heard that, I was like, okay, let's do this. So I ended up Mm -hmm. having to fairly quickly choose an egg donor. I still was using the same sperm donor that I had chosen. Thankfully, the OBG or the fertility specialty group that I went to, they have their own egg donor program. Mm. So in-house. So I was able to quickly choose someone from their program, which made it a little bit, the process a little bit more quick and easy. And so we just went that route. And I ended up doing in December before I think my 41st birthday, a round of IVF. And I think we got out of it, maybe seven embryos. And then right in January, we went ahead and implanted the the best one. And sadly, you know, of course you're like, this is it. You know, I'm going to have my kid. I'm so excited. And I got pregnant, but I miscarried at nine weeks. So, Mm. you know, and that's a whole nother, the whole miscarriage thing is a whole nother, you know, after four years of so many drugs and so many, you know, doctor's visits and so many ups and downs. And then I finally get pregnant. I finally decide to use an egg donor and then I finally get pregnant and then I have a miscarriage. So I was really, you know, that was mm-hmm. that was hard because I thought, well, gosh, what happened? This was the best embryo. And so I ended up, you know, taking the, the time off that they suggest and then having another round of IVF um, in March. 
So when you're saying a round of IVF, you mean your donor went through a round of IVF? No, my donor went through a round of IVF. And then the two times that I was the, I'm not sure even the correct terminology, it was the the transfer into me, is Uh that what they call uh it? Mm -hmm. Embryo transfer. Um, Uh Yeah. So in January and in March, I had, you know, the embryos transferred into me both times. And both times I had a miscarriage at nine weeks. Wow. So then I'm thinking, and even my reproductive productive endocrinologist thought that was strange because it was a donor egg, you know, everything looked fabulous and great. Mm -hmm. And so he thought, let's do some testing. So I ended up finding out that I had um, extremely high natural killer cells after. So there was some suggestion that my immune system was having some issues with the implanted embryos. And at this point, I literally Mm. had one embryo left. (laughs) So I sought Mm -hmm. out a specialist in New York that deals with recurrent miscarriage, and he had sort of a protocol to basically shut down your immune system and then having the embryo transfer so that you could increase the likelihood that you would have a successful pregnancy. So I followed his protocol, which involved IV injections every 12 weeks. I had to take massive doses of steroids to shut down my immune system. I mean, this was crazy, <laughs> but I mean, it was my last, wow, yeah. like I have to go all in and thankfully I got pregnant and it was very difficult, but I made it through. And that is now my son, Brayden, who's now five. So I ended up having wow. him one week after my 44th birthday. <laughs> I had my son, I think like four weeks after my 43rd birthday. And I was like, can wow. we just say I was 42? I know. I know. I was like, where did the last four um, years go? But I was so happy to be a mom that, you know, it was, know. It was finally had happened. Yeah. So how did we get to four years? So I feel like you did a, a year of IUI and then you picked an egg donor. She did one round of IVF. You did, you did some embryo transfers. That's when the miscarriages were happening. And then she did another yes. round of IVF. Yes. I think there was just time in between, which is actually, I should, which is actually a good point that we're talking about. This is I should probably go back and look at the actual timeline you know, because looking back now, this was over five years ago, but I think the IUI process took a year and then choosing my sperm donor. I did have some issues with my cervix. I had what was called, basically they could not get into my cervix. (laughs) Mm. I had to have a procedure where they went in to open my cervix so that obviously, you know, they need to get in there. So that took some time, Mm -hmm. just all the testing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the waiting, once I chose the egg donor, there was a period of time where you have to wait, you know, obviously you go through the process of the contract and everything like that. But then we had to, I think we had to get our cycles on the same. And then, so that took some, some time. And then the two miscarriages, after you have a miscarriages, you have to wait 30 days to start the whole thing over again. So yeah, it was almost a total of four years of a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. I don't know if you know that I used double donors as well. And I feel like how you described it first, letting go of like the image of being married and having a baby had felt so sort like such a huge process. And then when I realized I was going to have to use an egg donor, and then I was looking at giving up sort of a genetic link in addition 
to all these other things I felt like I had already given up. It felt so, yeah, it felt really difficult and really hard. Um, and that's- One thing that I should mention that helped me get past the donor egg scenario is uh-huh. I was very scared at my age of complications or, you know, just the thought that being 44 that, you know, there there's, you know, there's a chance that I could miscarry or have issues. So it did give me a strangely a little bit of comfort knowing mm-hmm. that an egg donor's egg was much younger and probably a lot healthier. So that helped me sort of cross that bridge too, is mm-hmm. thinking, okay, that this is going to give mm-hmm. me a better chance of having a healthy baby. So that that helped a lot too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember thinking that as well. Can you talk a little bit more about the miscarriages and sort of what the emotional journey was like after that? Like how you, I know a lot of women, it just feels, it's so difficult and it's a really easy place to feel like you just can't keep going and to give up. How did you survive those and kind of keep moving forward after those big losses? Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's so physically debilitating. I mean, not only has your body been through so much with all of these hormones up and down, up and down, but the thought that after all this time you were finally pregnant and now you're not, I think the hardest part was only my close circle of friends and family knew that I was going through this. So oftentimes I had to hide my emotions at work or I couldn't, you know, sometimes I couldn't keep it together all the time. But what really helped me, not only the support of my friends and family, is that I had joined a group a local group of other women who were also embarking on the same journey. And in that group, I met a smaller group of women and we literally became like a little family. Mm. Um, All of us were going through the process of trying. Many of us had a lot of ups and downs. And so if it wasn't for that small group of women, I don't know if I would have kept going or I don't know, you know, because in a weird way, I, my situation as crazy as it was, was actually better than some of these other women's, I mean, who had six miscarriages or Mm -hmm. we just were all really there for each other and able to help pull each other out of these times of sadness or uncertainty or so that really helped. And then just, you know, the, the, the drive that I just knew for sure I was put on this earth to be a mom. So I didn't understand why it was taking so long or why this was happening to me, but I knew that I had to figure it out and I had to keep going. So I guess it's a combination of things, but it was tough. I mean, there's some, I I think I wrote down in my blog that my friends threw me a birthday party right after my first miscarriage Mm. and it was at a restaurant and I literally had to walk out the back door. I had to sneak out and leave because I was so upset and I was trying to hold it together Mm. and I just left my own birthday party Mm -hmm. because I was devastated. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to find Mm -hmm. a group or support or somebody else going through the process or somebody who's been through the process because it's those people that can most closely relate to what you're going through. You know, some people try to say the right thing and it maybe doesn't come out. But I think when you're forming friendships with people who are traveling the same journey, it really makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's a really important piece of it because it can feel so isolating and it's really hard to find people who aren't going through it who get it. Like I know that some of my friends just really couldn't, it was just too much for them. I don't think they meant to be unsupportive, but... 
I think it was just so uncomfortable for them that they kind of pulled away. So I think that support's really important. And one of the reasons I've started these support groups for women who are thinking and trying, because I want to give more women that experience of being able to kind of go through it with other people. Well, and that's a good point. When you were saying that, it reminded me that during those years, I did sort of become a little disconnected with a lot of my friends because, you know, this was my focus. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to focus on my diet and I had to focus on so many things. And so thankfully, you know, my friends understood that and they are still my friends. But, you know, you sort of go into this world that's very specific to you and your needs. And, you know, like you said, some people may not understand or may not know what to say. So you sort of do kind of distance yourself, which is another reason why having that support is so important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about how you picked your donors? I think our kids are almost the exact same age. So I'm guessing we were contemplating the egg donor piece of it around the same time. And I know for me, they had almost just declared that frozen eggs were no longer considered experimental. And they were trying to convince me to use a frozen egg. But the data was just so slim that I really didn't, I wasn't convinced about the frozen egg piece of it. I'm curious whether they talked to you about it and how you decided to use a fresh egg donor versus frozen and how you, how you chose her. And then we can talk about the sperm donor as well. Yeah. So So for the egg donor, like I'd mentioned, because my clinic had an in-house egg donor program, I don't even think I was ever offered a Mm -hmm. frozen egg. Mm -hmm. I did did look at frozen embryos, frozen embryos from Mm -hmm. others because of cost. You know, it's, that's Mm -hmm. another thing you have to realize is that, you know, going with an egg donor, there's a cost associated with that. And But for me, as it was with my sperm donor, the most important thing was obviously medical history. And you want to understand as much as you can about their health history and their background. So you dive through all of that. And, you know, then, of course, you would like them to resemble you as much as possible or resemble or, you know, just probably look like they (laughs) they belong to you. But for me, Mm -hmm. it was mostly the the medical history. And just I, I don't know, I felt like you just kind of had to have some kind of a connection The other good thing about the way I did it is there were only a handful of women that fell into that category for this particular in-house program. So it sort of helped me Mm -hmm. decide more Mm -hmm. quickly rather than having endless people to flip through and go through. I felt like that helped me decide a little bit more quickly. I just had this weird gut feeling. I mean, I think you just throughout this process, there'll be many times when you just have a gut feeling and you just go with it. And Mm -hmm. that's what I did. So picking the the egg donor was not that difficult. In fact, it was only a couple week process, you know, because I was trying to keep things moving quickly. And then the sperm donor, a little bit more time and difficult because that's the first thing I had to do. But again, I, mm-hmm. I think I connect, I found one and I, you know, read everything that they give you. And I looked at the photos and I read through the medical history and it, you know, at some point you just have to pick. So, I mean, you could get lost for days and mm-hmm. hours going through and second guessing yourself, but you just have to really focus on what's important to you and then pick it and then just move forward from there. So thankfully, I was able to keep the same donor throughout the entire time. And in fact, after my pregnancy, that donor had to retire because I think the cryobank has a specific amount of pregnancies that 
happened before. And then they, I think they kindly ask the donor to retire. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, overall for me, that was not a, I mean, it was difficult and it was hard, but it wasn't the hardest part of the process for me. Mm-hmm. And how would you say you relate to the donor sort of mentally now that your child is born? It's sort of interesting. The egg donor, surprisingly, I don't think about that much. And that might be sort of a self preservation mechanism is, mm. you know, that knowing that I am not his biological mom was harder than knowing that he had a sperm donor, but the sperm donor, I mean, I, my son has an open donor. So when he's 18, he will have the ability to contact him. And I almost can't wait for that day because, you know, when I look at my son, I just can't <laughs> believe that somebody gave that to me, you know, for whatever reason, I, they always give these great reasons when they write down in their bios, but I mean, who knows why he did it, but it's an amazing thing. And I want him to know. So I actually look forward to that. And it was important for me to pick a known donor. For me personally, Mm -hmm. I just never wanted my son to not. I did a lot of reading and um, listening to other kids who were born um, via sperm donation. And, you know, for a lot Mm -hmm. of them, it's just they want the ability to be able to see or meet the person. Mm -hmm. The egg donor, on the other hand, is not. um, She chose not to be known. So we'll see how it goes. You know, it's going to be mostly more based on my son and what he wants to know and, you know, what, when he wants to know that. But I, I just, I feel so greatly. In fact, I gave the egg donor a gift. I never met her, but I gave her a necklace with a charm on it just to let her know how like grateful I was that she had decided to do that. And that is mm-hmm. you know, was truly a gift. So mm, yeah. Yeah. Does your son know that he's donor conceived and what have you told him? Yeah. So he's, he's five, but we've literally been talking about it since he could talk. Mm-hmm. We read the first step for me was sort of reading a lot of books to him about different kinds of families and that families come in all shapes mm-hmm. and sizes. And, you know, some families have only a mom, some families only have a dad, some kids are adopted. So that was the first conversation I started having with him. I also, from a young age, mm-hmm. started referring to my extended family as his family so that, you know, he knows that our family is more than just him and I. Mm-hmm. It's my mom and my dad and my sisters and his cousins. And so that helped. And then it's helpful that in our neighborhood, we have a wide variety of families. Um, mm-hmm. The woman across the street adopted her son. She's a single mom. You know, the people across the street are divorced. So I think that helped sort of pave the way. And then after that, I recently bought a book that I had found. There's not a lot out there, but I did find a book about, you know, becoming pregnant with a sperm donor. And I started reading that to him and he was very interested in it. So I think he knows that our family's a little different, but he, it's really surprised me. It was one of my biggest fears going into this is, oh my Mm. gosh, like, how is this going to pan out? Is my child going to ask me? And I'm sure there'll be bumps in the road along the way, but he really has surprised me. I mean, I think we give him so much love that I'm hoping that that gets him through it. And thankfully the world is becoming a different place now. There's more inclusion and it's not so uncommon anymore to have, you know, a modern family, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. That's really where we, as far as we've gotten, you know, and I did make a book for him. I put together everything from my journey and won't share that with him anytime soon. But when he's ready, I hope to be able to share that with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he knows the full story and he knows everything. Awesome. And have you mentioned 
mentioned the egg donor to him or only the sperm donor at this point? Only the sperm donor because, and this is actually one of the things that I would love to do at some point is write a book about kids who were born from both double Mm -hmm. donors because I don't think there's one that exists. So yeah, we haven't talked about that yet. I'm sure we'll get there soon. And yeah, I have to even still figure out how I'm going to, to, you know, because I don't know at five if he even understands that yet. So I think we're just slowly mm-hmm. going at a rate at which, and it's kind of like, it comes up in natural moments. Like one day I just decided to pull out that book and we read it and he wanted me to read it to him five more times. And so I was like, okay, so he's interested now and he likes this. And mm-hmm. I just sort mm-hmm. of play it by ear. Cool. There is a book actually that we oh. should, I should link to in the show notes. You actually have to order it from England, but it, oh. it's not too expensive. And it's through the Donor Conception Network. I think it's it's dcn.org. I'll definitely link to it. They have it so that you can like pick that you use double donors, that you're a lesbian oh, wow. couple, or you're a single mom, or that you used a known donor or you're not a known donor, that there's like a possibility to maybe meet other people who use the same donor in the future or not. And then you can kind of fill it in with your own pictures and a few of your own words and stuff. So it's a really nice book. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It's true. There isn't really something for double donors out there. Yeah, it is out there. It does exist. So we'll link to that. So can you talk about having used double donors and being worried about that lack of genetic connection how would you say that that lack of genetic connection in any way has impacted your bond or your relationship with your child? For me, absolutely not. In fact, well, I should say because I don't have a biological child, I don't know the difference, but I will tell you that not a moment in a day comes along where I feel like he's not mine. I honestly, you know, Mm -hmm. because I carried him and gave birth to him, you know, and my mom seriously thinks that because of that, some of my DNA got in with his DNA, but I really don't at all. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love him with my whole heart and soul. And honestly, I don't even think about it most days. Mm -hmm. It's just Mm -hmm. he's my son. And He's very tall and I'm very short and he's blonde and blue eyed. So I think people sometimes look at us like, but you know, he is so my son and we're actually very, very close, you know, probably because it's just the two of us, but we are very close. And that was something I worried about is, you know, am I going to be able to look at this child and feel that kind of love that, you know, a natural birth would give? And I do um, immensely. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if anybody's worried about that, I, I have no issues with that at all. I honestly feel like he's my kid. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I love to capture that because that was, that sentiment is actually the reason I started the podcast because I work with so many women who are contemplating egg donation and it's their biggest fear or they call me while they're pregnant and they're like, oh my God, what if I don't bond to this kid? And I just wanted to like capture the voices of so many women saying basically that, like it really makes zero difference. So thank you for saying it so beautifully sure. and sharing that. So do you have any regrets about how you became a mom or about your path in general? I wouldn't say I have any regrets. You know, I'm one of those people that feel like your journey is your journey. You know, I don't know if it's everything's meant to be that it is, but I I don't know why I didn't go down the path and meet someone and have a baby, but I do feel like this is how it was meant to be. Even the whole fertility process, I feel like even though he was my last embryo, that Mm -hmm. was the embryo that was meant to be my son for whatever reason. And I, Mm -hmm. because of that, that's why I'm so passionate about 
supporting other women who want to go on this journey because, you know, we have to let go of what society says we all should be doing. And my biggest, my heart breaks when I meet or talk to a woman who has passed that fertility window Mm -hmm. and, or maybe can't Mm -hmm. afford and just never had the resources or the courage or to go through with it, you know, cause that breaks my heart. If I, you know, I, I had to prepare myself for the thought I probably would have ended up adopting, but so I, I really have no regrets about what I did. In fact, it's the best thing I've ever done. And it has made me who I am today. Giving birth to my son has completely changed the direction of my life. It's changed me as a person. It's also changed my family. Bringing him into the world brought my family closer. Mm-hmm. My parents were older. Um, most of their grandchildren were grown and in college. So having my son sort of gave them a second wind. And so he's mm-hmm. just been a total blessing. So I, mm-hmm. I really don't have any regrets. That's awesome. You said it's really changed the direction of your life. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, you know, before I had him, I just didn't see the world in the same way that I do after. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very me focused. You know, what do I want to do? Where do I want to travel? What career do I want to have? And then becoming a mom, it just changed everything. Like, you know, I think this happens for any kind of mom, but you just see the world in a different way. And things that were important to me before are not important to me. And things that were important before, no longer important to me. So it's an amazing thing. And it kind of shifted the trajectory of what I want to do with my life. No longer is it the most important thing that I climb the career ladder. You know, now it's the most important thing for me to be a good mom. And also to try to, you know, to try to get people to think differently about what a family is and what being a mom is and, you know, to be less focused on, you know, what society says a family should be. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, so I am a completely different person. And I think for the better, everything Mm -hmm. about my life has changed for the better since I've had my son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel very similarly. I feel like he's like this rudder and it just sort of like, it gave my life this like orientation that was so Mm -hmm. strong and powerful that, yeah, life has just gotten, I mean, obviously a lot more complicated in certain ways, but in other ways, just so much simpler because the direction is so clear. Yes. So in hindsight, I think I know the answer to this, so I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, (laughs) In hindsight, would you do anything differently based on what you know now about how things turned out and how great I mean, I think if if I had been educated from a younger age, I probably would have done this a little bit earlier and maybe had the chance to use my own egg. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I feel like that's where things were when I was venturing on this journey. I think now it's getting better. My friends tease me because I'm constantly talking to them. It's like, you don't want to scare people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I want them to understand, like, just go, you know, understand where you are with your fertility. That's all you need to do is just know. So you have Mm -hmm. the knowledge and then you can make decisions. So I wish I would have known a little bit more about that. And I think that's getting better. But I think there's still a lot that could be done to help women take better control of their fertility mm-hmm. and, and know more about it. But yeah, that's I, my journey is my journey and I value it and it made me who I am today. So I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. And have you dated at all since you were pregnant or your child was born? I have. I have, I have attempted to. Um, as you probably know, being a single mom and I was working full-time corporate job, there's not a lot of time. So, <laughs> you know, right. I mean, not only is it difficult to date as a single person without being a mom in your 
thirties or forties, you know, for the first few years, it was just literally, I was, didn't have time. And my focus was my son and staying sane and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I think in the last two years, I've kind of put myself out there, but it is hard because time and taking time away from, you know, my son. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, well, I'm sure the husband will come after I have Brayden and he hasn't, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to put myself out there, but I'm one of those people that thinks that when I'm in my space and when I'm happy and I'm being my best self, that that person, if they're going to show up, will show up. But I also believe they're not just going to show up at my front door and knock on the door. Like I have to put myself out there. So I'm trying to do more of that. I I would love for my son to have a father, but thankfully I have brother-in-laws and my son is very close with my dad. So it's, it's not as much of a priority as it used to be, but I would, you know, I would like it if it happened, let's just say that, but it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not the be all end all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In general, can you talk a little bit about how you've gotten support and how you've built your support network? Yeah. So there's a local group in San Diego that I Googled back when I was 39 and said, there's got to be other women out there who've done this. And I started going to their meetings and they set it Mm -hmm. up similarly, like thinkers, triers, and then obviously the women who've had children. That same meeting, I met another woman who was also there for the very first time. And she and I ended up literally, and still to this day, our kids play together. But we Mm. went through this entire journey together. She ended up with a little bit of a different outcome in the way that she ended up adopting after several years of IVF and IUI. And I mean, even a a tougher journey than I had. But Mm. she and I, if it wasn't for her, I mean, literally, we just, we talked every day and we helped each other through. My family was also very supportive. I'm so fortunate to have that. You know, even though they may have thought I was crazy, they they really did support me. And and even after my son was born, you know, my sister was in the delivery room with me, and my whole family was there. And my mom stayed with me for three or four weeks after he was born. So, you know, also now, you know, online forums are helpful. There were a few back when I was going through this, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think really having as much support as you can find is just so important to Mm -hmm. get you through the tough times. And, um, and it helps you to also support someone else. It sort of helps you take focus off yourself sometimes and give it to somebody else. So that I found that beneficial as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice. And then you mentioned earlier on that when you were contacting, contemplating being a single mom, you sort of thought through like how you were going to make it work with a job. Can you talk about a little bit how that's gone? I know you said you were in like a corporate pretty demanding job for a long time. How was that when you had an infant and what advice would you give to women about how to navigate sort of career and being a single mom? That was part of the tougher part. I, you know, prior to having my son, I traveled a lot with my job. In fact, I used to go back and forth from New York to California probably once every six weeks. So Mm -hmm. I instantly knew before, you know, while going through this, that I would have to find a different job that didn't take me out of the state every six weeks. So I, but, but that's something I thought ahead about. And I started researching, you know, what kind of job could I transition to in my same industry that would take the travel picture out. So 
I did that. And then the whole childcare mm-hmm. thing was another pretty big deal. Childcare is not cheap. And I thought I had prepared myself for that, but it's always more expensive than you think. So mm-hmm. thankfully, somehow I made it through it, but I had a nanny for the first year. That was so expensive though. I, I loved the idea though, that I was leaving him with somebody I knew and trusted and was in my own home. But then, mm-hmm. you know, it gets easier as you go along. And then he uh, transitioned into daycare and then preschool, which I think has been great for him. You know, he'll be going into kindergarten in the fall and he, you know, has learned so much from already going to school for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, I will say, that's something that I think people really need to to be prepared for and to prepare as best as you can because, you know, you're tired, you're, you have a lot of, you know, I have a pretty high level corporate job, so I have to show up to work ready to... <laughs> be in my Mm -hmm. best form, you know, and that could be after only having four hours of sleep or, you know, worry, you know, leaving your son when he's sick. Also, you know, when your child is sick, there's nobody else to sort of split that duty with. You have Mm -hmm. to have a job that's understanding that if you're, if you need to leave, you need to leave. So I'm so fortunate that I was able to find a company that was okay with that and understood that. And I made it clear in the interview process that I have to have a little bit of flexibility. It will not impact my performance, but I just need you to know ahead of time. And I would also negotiate more vacation time when I was interviewing for a job. That helps just having an extra couple weeks to have days when your child is sick or for whatever reason. So, but I will say that that was one of the biggest challenges for me in the first few years of his life. Mm -hmm. And has that gotten better now or have you found some other solutions or? No, it's definitely gotten better you know, and it, it's a lot of work. You have to research schools and, but it's better now. And in fact, I'm in the process of transitioning from an office job back into a job where I work from home. So mm-hmm. that will, I mean, that's ideal, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that, and then he'll be going into kindergarten. So, so it does get easier and you, you know, learn a lot from other people and there's many ways to manage financially, you know, through any shares or all kinds of things. Um, but again, that's why these types of groups are so important because other people can give you advice on how they did it and so that people know what to expect. Awesome. Thank you. And how did you decide like who and when to tell at your job? Was that a was that a tricky thing of like when to let them know that you were pregnant and that you were single? And were you worried about telling them that you were like single and pregnant or how did that all play out? Well, because most of my close friends knew, you know, at that point I was pretty comfortable with what I was doing. Interestingly, I got laid off from a job when I was four, when I was four months pregnant with my son and I hadn't told them yet. <laughs> I was working a remote job and I literally was about to meet with my boss in person and I was waiting to tell her until that in-person meeting because obviously she would see me because I was worried if I told them that my job would change or that they would give clients to somebody else. But ironically, that next time that I met her, she was meeting with me to let me know that the company was undergoing a reorganization and that all of the strategic account managers were being laid off. So that's a whole nother podcast I could go into, but trying to find a job when you're five months pregnant, that sort of helped because I ended up consulting during the rest of my pregnancy, which was nice. 
And the job that I ended mm-hmm. up consulting with was a company that was making a remote fetal monitor. So it was like this perfect thing because mm. I was pregnant, they needed, you yeah. know, so it all worked out, but it helped that I went through most of my pregnancy, just consulting and working on the side. But I do remember my first job after I had my son, you know, I was very open with it. I've always been very open and I find that's the best thing for me. I don't know if everybody feels that same way, but you know, I want people to know that I'm a single mom and I want them to know how I how I got there and I don't want them to give me any sort of you know I don't feel like I should be treated any differently but I do want them to know what my priorities are mm-hmm. so that that was important to me that the job knew that you know, he's my priority. And if something comes up that that's, I have to, I have to take care of that. Mm -hmm. And do you feel like that's impacted your ability to find work or the way you're treated at work in any way? A little bit, you know, I think that you don't want to use being a single mom is like, oh, woe is me. I, you know, I, I need more help. But at the same time, people who aren't single moms, I think they really underestimate how difficult it is to be a single mom. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course you're going to run into that, but you do have to make sure you find a particular job. Like I had a, a job at one point that was very high stress, a lot of hours, just, and I just, it wasn't going to be for me because I had to mm-hmm. always have my focus on my son and it, you know, that wasn't going to be the best environment for me. So you have to sort of be flexible and think, you know, what's a job that, you know, can financially get me where I need to be and is something I enjoy doing, but allows me the flexibility to, because the last thing you want to do is be stressed out all day and then come home and try to be a good mom. That does not work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would, I would definitely <laughs> recommend that people look at that. And, you know, I went through that for a bit, but thankfully now I've, I've found a good place. So mm-hmm. great. That's good to hear. What advice would you give someone if they were struggling to become a mother or at that crossroads of trying to decide whether or not to do it on their own or in some way just completely reimagine what they thought was in their cards as being a mother? For me, I would say, first and foremost, just follow your heart. I mean, I think we all know deep down what we want in life and what we're good at. And if being a mom is so important to you, and if you really feel like that's part of your journey, then you just have to follow it. I would also say, do your research. You know, knowledge is power. So the more you know about the process and the more you understand about how to get there, I think the more empowered you'll be and the better you'll feel about doing it. And then just be your own advocate going through the fertility process. I think it's so important that people understand what is going on, you know, what the shots are for, what are the shots, why, what is this doing to your body? Because I think that there's a certain degree of, you know, the doctors will do what they do. But like in my case, when I realized I may have a, you know, an immune response to my miscarriages, I knew that I had to seek out information on that. So I had to do research and find a physician in New York that specializes in that. And his protocol literally, I think, was the reason I got pregnant with my last embryo. So just educate yourself, be your own advocate, find a support system, and just follow your heart. And don't worry what anybody else thinks. If it's important to you, then you do it. And you'll be surprised that, I mean, people are so interested in what I did. And nine times out of 10, they want to hear the story. Oh my gosh, I want to hear more. That's so great. The next thing you know, people are calling you and saying, I have a friend who wants to do this. Can you talk to them? And so, you know, but just be smart about it. Be, you know, 
educate yourself. But in the end, if it's what you want, I would say don't let anything stop you. Yeah, awesome. And in what ways has being a mother been different than you expected? You know what? I don't think it's been, well, obviously it's it was hard. <laughs> I, everybody <laughs> says that. Everybody knows and tells you it will be hard, but it, it really does push you to the, you know, to the limits. I always thought I was the strongest person in the world who could multitask like the best of them. But I mean, it really does press you to your limits in every way. But that's Mm -hmm. what makes it so rewarding is, you know, it pushes you to your best self and it is very hard. But in the end, you know, you you get through it and the rewards are are so much more than than the challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, you get through it and then, you know, you just look at this person that's like amazing. So, so yeah. So what do you like least about being a mother? Well, I, I wouldn't say there's anything I, I like least or don't like, but I will say that it's very challenging. Um, having the energy and just having the mindset to get through each day is very, very challenging, which is why finding support is so important. But I must say, you know, outside of that, the rewards are far greater than the challenges. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it surpassed what I thought it would be tenfold. Mm. And what do you love most about being a mother? So much. Um, (laughs) One of the things that sort of surprised me is when you have a child, you sort of get to see the world again as a child, which is Mm. so important. Um, Everything, holidays become so much more exciting. Everything becomes so much more exciting because you're literally like reliving life through mm-hmm. this person. And it, re- you know, it just brings out the best in you and that their innocence and their, you know, they're funny. And, and it just, all of that is, is one of the things I love the most. And then just experiencing a type of love that nobody understands unless they become a mom. I have a huge family that I love and they love me and I've had boyfriends that I love. But until you have a child, it's just this amazing love and it, it truly changes your life. And, you know, even though my son was from a double donor, that still happened and it's it's indescribable. And so that's one of the things I love most is that I get to experience this amazing relationship with my son and I get to, you know, help him grow and teach him and guide him. And it's really one of the best things. So, you know, there's, I could go on forever about what I love the most. (laughs) For anybody who wants to be a mom, it truly fulfills all of those wonderful things that you've always wanted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And any other advice you'd like to add before we close? Just, you know, like I keep saying over and over, just find what I call your tribe. It may take a while for you to connect, you know, you might not connect with certain people at first, but you'll find someone or several people that will want to go on this journey with you. And I think that that really helps you make decisions. It helps you, you know, when you hit a bump in the road, it's also great to have someone who just understands what it's like to stick a needle in their stomach or somebody who understands what it's like to have to sneak out work to go get blood drawn three times a week. (laughs) So that I would say is, is, and then Mm -hmm. like I said, you know, educate yourself and and be be your own advocate and push for things and and follow your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I really appreciate you joining us. Your story is incredibly similar to mine. And I feel like a lot of it could have been myself speaking as well, but it's just really nice to hear it from a slightly different angle and different words. And it was just really nice to spend this time with you today. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share my story. Awesome. 
I hope you enjoyed my interview today with Brenda. I really loved hearing a story so similar to my own and so close to my heart. I hope you'll take to heart what she said about developing a support network and finding your tribe. And it's really the reason I started the Motherhood Reimagined Tribe support groups. I've extended the preferred founder pricing for the Thinkers Triers group until May 15th. So don't miss your chance. And as I mentioned for the solo pregnancy support group, if you sign up this week, you will get not only an hour long session with me, but you'll also get a copy of my book. So hop on over to the motherhoodreimagined.com and sign up with the code founder monthly or founder six. And that is for the code for either of the groups. I also wanted to mention in case you were not aware on my website, I have a bunch of guides. I have a, how to pick a sperm donor, an overview of the various policies, the different sperm banks and what you kind of need to be aware of when you're picking a bank, as well as a guide around how to discuss alternative family structures. It gives a really great overview of different books that are available. So I hope you'll go to my website and check it out. If you do sign up, then you basically get access to all of my freebies if you sign up for any of them and you get to see what the tribe membership platform looks like. So head on over to my website, motherhoodreimagined.com and sign up for any of my freebies to get all of my freebies. All right, have a great day. Bye for now.